I like how you set it up every, I like how you set up. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. The episode you're about to hear has a new sound effect in it. In the past, I put music beds under the old conversations. I happened to find a needle drop onto an old scratched LP record. So when you hear that sound, that means it's a sound from the past. Here's why. Yes, some hipsters are buying turntables again, but as David and I are glad to tell you, records could get scratched very easily, destroyed very easily. They're gigantic. They're not as cool as they're cut out to be, but they're old. So this is indicating that we had an old conversation. Scratched records mean it's worn. A record that's scratched is worn, usually the ones you played the most. So that's also to represent that it's a past conversation. And it respects the conversation, I think, a little bit more to my ears than the music bed. And by the way, I have a topic about record collections that I'm going to save for the next completion percentage because can't do it now. That's it. Enjoy the episode. Let's let's go. All right, we're going to go. All right, so let me just... I'm literally excited to be back in my office. Wi-Fi is going... Everything's charged up. I feel comfortable. I'm in my chair. I have some water. No cocktail. It's too early. I'm just ready. It's been, like I said to Heather just before we came on, it's been two weeks that I've wanted to have these conversations with you guys. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm kind of low energy, but I usually end up getting swept up in you guys' excitement. It'll be good. Here we go. David's back from Bandcamp. The preseason is over. Oh, and Heather's here. Heather's here. Speaking of Bandcamp, there was a guy camped out where you get good signal the entire trip. Correct, David? Yeah. His headphones, everything, in that one space. He was just, like you said, he was camped out there the whole time. And it slowly, not so slowly, it made me so irritated, I ended up hating him. <laughs> it reminds me, metaphysically, of the people who drive in the lane that's narrowing for construction because they think they're more important than everybody else. Yes. H Heather, you laugh. Uh, chaperones would get together. And we would talk about our day. He would start talking. And sometimes he would glance at me. And I would actually feel myself rolling my eyes at him in contempt. <laughs> I was like, wow, I don't like this guy. He was a chaperone as well? He was a chaperone. But here's the thing. I was a new guy coming in. And Heather, it was like everything I was doing was wrong. The way I oh. put the pitchers of water out on the tables why, why are you doing it like that? What You know, you should do it like this. Don't just go get the cups. Roll the cart to each table. It's faster. I was like, oh, wow. thanks. So I found myself really having to go in and just find my, my happy place. <laughs> find your beautiful day. Find my beautiful day. And it was, Heather, was, it was not a lot of beautiful days. It, we, it rained a lot. <laughs> it rained a lot. Aww. So, Next year, David's not going to be the new guy. He's going to know how nope. everything works. They said, David, are you going to do this next year? I go, oh, you bet. I can't wait. I'm excited to do it next year. I don't even care. I, I might sit up my computer, put my headphones there, open it up, and just not even go, go there for a while because that's what he did. Like, I came down in the morning, and it was just already set up. He was nowhere to be found. Completion percentage. All right, we've got so much to talk about, you guys. And I won't start the timer yet. I want to say a few things. There's two things we're keeping track of, details and threads. And I mentioned threads on another episode. Here are the handful of details for me that I wanted to clear up. The name of the racetrack that I went to in Southern California is Santa Anita. You probably have heard of it if you follow horse racing. Santa Anita. The coach episode, I was very conflicted to give you this information. I was incorrect. He coaches for Orlando, a fictional Orlando expansion team, not Jacksonville. I said Jacksonville. And then I have a quick clip, which I just wanted to give David appreciation for. And it is this. 
I don't think people come to the audience and think, I'm going to make some sort of noise to get on an episode of a sitcom. I would think to do that, I would go, wow, what if I, everyone's laughing, and I'll do one more chuckle when everyone's done. I would laugh a little bit longer to see if my laugh got on. Now, I want you both to know, I've suffered guilt and shame and like really wondering about myself. How could I do that? I said it out loud. Dave said I probably would have done the same thing. Something is different in me from not having that inside. And I don't have too many things that I can think of like that. But that's something I thought of in the moment. I said it out loud. And David, your response probably was like you felt when Rotor said, I mow my lawn too. That's why I believe in group work. It's amazing. Yeah, I I probably would have done that. Would you have gone through like a a conscience thing about it like I did? No, no, (laughs) I would have just (laughs) like that. And, you know, and I'd be listening the next week to see if I heard it. I didn't feel guilty when I did it. But you might feel different when if you were to hear it on TV. When I heard it on the episode, I was shocked. I was ashamed. I was angry that I was ashamed. I'm like, why didn't you just retake the, the scene? Why didn't you do it when we all went home? Just retake it when we all went. It was a serious scene. You didn't need the audience. Like to me, that was such little care about the details. Here I am telling these guys it was Orlando, not Jacksonville. They couldn't retake that scene so there wouldn't be a cough. But I mean, here, here I'm the guy who coughed, so I, I don't have a right to comment. I, I bet they heard it. They probably thought, oh, I, let's leave it we, we, so people know that we're taped in front of a live audience. Maybe it was like, oh, I don't want to spend the extra money in editing for them to go back to it and, and remove it. Let's just, we got to get this done by this time in order for it to air this next week. When you were watching the episode on TV and you heard yourself cough, were you waiting for it? I was at a hotel in Los Angeles and I'm like, oh, that's the episode of Coach I was on all those years earlier because I had forgotten about it. I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. It gets to the scene and I coughed. I heard myself cough and I was, to be honest with you, the biggest thing after the shock and the shame that I ruined it was angry that they didn't have higher standards. You get Catherine Hellman and you get Craig T. Nelson. No, it wasn't even Craig T. Maybe it was. I think it was. Catherine Hellman and Craig T. Nelson, I think. You say, hang on, guys. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Sometimes you do an insert shot and there's no live studio audience. It's no big deal. There's no way that would have gotten on my show. I think if you were a showrunner or producer on a show... And you have all the things that you're worrying about. And you have actors with their egos. And they went through a really emotional scene. And there was a cough. And you said to these actors, I need to do that one more time because someone coughed in the audience. They would be like, are you crazy? Yeah, we're not doing this one more time. This is what you're going to get out of me. Maybe maybe all those things were going through his head or her head. Yeah, maybe. I just know. I think it's pretty cool you heard your cough. On a national TV show. There's a coolness in it too, but I just know that would have never made it onto my show. If I'm the showrunner, I fix that. I fix that. Was it a scene between just two? Because I've never actually seen it. So was it a scene between just two people or was it? It was a scene with two people talking to each other. So it, yeah, it's out of place. Out of place. And it's on the, it's on the, the set of the show. I think it was in his office as the coach. But it's funny that he's a he's an NFL football coach. We can actually talk about it on here because it actually tangentially has something to do with football. But yeah, it was just the two of them. Get him back in a room and shoot it. I just made myself laugh with the thoughts. You should be in the credits. <laughs> no, I for sure shouldn't. Because again, I as soon as I laugh, I'm ashamed of myself. Like I ruined that creativity. But I also it was a test. I saw the pattern. I'm like, can I get this by watching it back? I'm offended as a creative. And that to me, that's, no, David, how many times have I brought up uh, Larry David on this show? Many, many times. Larry David would have never let that happen. I, wow. I wonder if it has. I, I next now, whenever I watch reruns of uh, Seinfeld, I'm going to listen for something out of the audience. And I'm very huh. conflicted to 
sound like I'm the, what's the person, the moralistic one, and I'm the one who coughed. I, I have no right to say any of this. It's a very interesting um, dynamic. It's an interesting dynamic. Yes. You created this thing and now it exists out in the world forever. And so it almost like haunts you a little bit. Wow. It does. It's your white whale. (laughs) You may remember, if you don't, please go back a few episodes. I'll figure out what episode and tell you in a minute. But David stayed at a hundred. Oh, it's, it's, um, I'm quiet because I'm thinking. David tells a story of having been sold a timeshare while he was on his honeymoon. He lost all that time and was all, uh, incredibly frustrated to be tricked into a timeshare meeting. It's not the end of this honeymoon horror story. David? So a day after, or a couple of days after, my then wife was excited to use this uh, jacuzzi tub. And this suite was a beautiful suite. It was all like marble floor and a glass door slide. And you're, you see the beach and it was just a beautiful honeymoon suite. Uh, my wife was excited. We had done some hiking. And it was really, really hot. It was, she was sore from walking. And the only thing that she kept repeating to me is like, I can't wait to get back to our suite so I can get in that tub, that jacuzzi tub and just lay back and relax. We get back to the suite. She takes off her clothes. She, you know, that thing that women do when they're in a shower or in a tub, they wrap, I don't know how they manage to do it, but they wrap the towel around their head so it stays. <laughs> yeah. She had the jets on and the water's going. I said, I think you should, maybe you could turn the water off now. And she goes, oh yeah. So she turns the faucet to turn the water and it doesn't turn off. And now she's turning the other one. She's turning the other way. I go, no, no, lefty, loosey, righty, tidy. We're going back and forth and we're trying to, well, it's not shutting off this way, Dave. So I turn it the other way and now I'm hitting the power, trying to cut it off and it's still going, it's still going, it's still going. And now it's getting right up to the, close to the edge. She goes, David, you got to do something. And I ran, <laughs> I ran out the room. I don't know if she thought I was running away from the situation. <laughs> I'm hitting the elevator button over and over again. And it, it doesn't seem to be moving. I run past the elevator to the emergency exit. I'm going flight after flight. After. I finally make it. I'm running past the concierge. And I, I slid on the marble floor. I get back to the concierge. I go, I'm in room, whatever, whatever it was. We can't turn off the tub. And she goes, oh, it's simple to turn it on. You just turn on that. I go, no, no, it's on. We can't turn it off. It's overflowing. Was there any of like, are you hearing me? Do you hear what I've tell? Like, are you freaking out or are you calmly saying this to these people? I was patting the, the marble desk going back and forth. The tub is overflowing. The tub is overflowing. It's water. Water's flowing over the tub. And then, and she calls the guy. I don't even wait for a full conversation. She, at, I yell down the hall, the, the, the room number and floor. And I, I hit the elevator button. It doesn't open. I run back up nine, nine or 10 flights of steps. I get to the room. And as I'm go, running down the hallway, I can see water. On the car, oh, no. I can see the dampness around the front uh, door of the of the. You're in an I Love Lucy episode. This is bad. You know, you you haven't even heard. I open the door. I run. I slip on the marble floor, <laughs> and then a, a maintenance man comes in. He's running too. He pulls down like a part of the tub, like that comes off, and he hits a button, and it all stops. And he says to me. All you had to do is this. And I said, we did everything. I didn't know you had to open up the back of the tub and hit a button. How am I supposed to know in an emergency you open the back of the tub? And he goes, well, we'll get this cleaned up right away. And then my wife said, I don't want to be in this room. It's it's gone down the steps into the living room in the carpet area. It's going to smell. It's going to smell like mildewy. Now I'm feeling just like... The timeshare. Same day? Same day? No, no. This is a couple of days later. Okay. How long was the honeymoon? A week? A week. Okay. And I feel bad for my wife because she was really waiting for this experience. And like she really wanted to enjoy this jacuzzi tub. And then now this. So I ran down. I went back down to the front desk. And now I'm really upset. 
I said I had a mal, uh, malfunctioning jacuzzi tub, water went everywhere. I need a new room. I sat through a, a timeshare that I didn't know was a timeshare. <laughs> you <laughs> said that to him? Oh, yes. Okay. I was like, you got to do something to make this. This is my honeymoon. You guys better do something. They're trying to tell me all I had to do is take the back of the tub off. And then he says to me, did you read the directions? And I said, no, Ugh. I didn't read the directions. Jacuzzis work one way. I've been on the jacuzzi before. You turn on the water, you turn it off. The jets go, the jets stop. You know, what's there to learn? Well, it's in the instructions. If, if something malfunctions, you just, no, no. And I'm going back and forth. And I go, you're going to do something. You know, I was trying wow. to do this Jedi so mind. So you're, you're like a target. This was the target moment. Yeah. You're going to do something. Because I sat through this timeshare that I didn't know was a timeshare until it was three and a half hours in. Oof. And now my suite's overflowing. She goes, well, we'll get that cleaned up right away, sir. I go, no, that's not good enough. You're going to get me another suite. You're going to make this right. It's my honeymoon. I spent a lot of money for this. And she said, mm -hmm. well, I don't know if we have any more rooms available. And I said, well, you're going to have to find one. Back and forth, back and forth. And finally, she goes, well, I do have one room available. I go, fine. I want that room. I go back to my wife, feeling really, Heather, I was feeling really good about myself. Like, I had done this thing. Like, I, my new wife was seeing that I was handling things, and I got everything under control. I walk back in. I'm like, mm -hmm. all is going to be fixed. We're, we're moving to another suite. Sweet. Here's what we're going to go. We're going to go out, sit by the pool. We'll go up into our new room. I bet they're going to upgrade us because all the stuff that we're... So I'm putting this Marshall into her head. What do you feel? Do you actually feel like they're going to upgrade you? Who wouldn't? I agree. I agree. Yeah. You just stood up for yourself and you're going to get what you deserve at this point. Finally. Mm -hmm. You guys, I know I'm taking a long time to, to tell the stories, but finally I'm getting what, you know. And I felt, forgive me to the listeners, I felt like, I was a man, like I was making these, I was making things happen. I, I know what you doing mean. Doing this for my, you know, like my my you, wife was you, sitting. You were the you were the penetrative part of the relationship. You were the one making. Yes. You would have to insert yourself into that person's reality and say, "I want something to have. I want satisfaction." I had to insert myself. So, finally, we were out in the sun in the pool, you know, and she was ready to go back into our beautiful suite that I had arranged for her, made happen. I yelled, they listened, and they made it happen. I walked up to the front desk, and she said, Mr. Hughes, we have your your room ready for you. Here's the key. We're so sorry. I grabbed the key. We, <laughs> we walked, and as we walked, it was the environment was a little bit different. Before we were going to our suite, the hallways were wide. Hallway was wide. And as we were walking to our new suite, I noticed that it felt a little more narrow. I go, oh, that's odd. Mm. In my head, I'm going, that's odd. This feels different. And I put the key in the door, and it was a, <laughs> it was just a hotel room with carpet on the floor, oh. a smaller. It was no walkout deck or anything or patio or whatever. Open up the shade, and you saw part of the hotel, and it just was horrible. And oh. I was like, God, what have I done? And we had. Four more days of the vacation. I wonder if the room actually would have smelled okay. The whole area was marble. And maybe they even planned it that way when they designed the suite. That if something happened, well, it was all marble. Hmm. You think that they were going to clean it up, suck out the water, and move you right back in? Yes. I think they were going to suck up the water. I would have walked in that room and it would have looked like... Can you imagine... How many people stay in a, a hotel room and what things get damaged or broken or flooded all the time? All the time. Yeah. I lived in a, a apartment was like on a 10th floor and an older lady lived next door to me and her tub overflowed into my bedroom because our apartments were next to each other. And I ran to her door and she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't get to the tub. She was just sitting going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Ma'am, your tub is overflowing. I ran into her bathroom and turned it off. And I went to work. And the next, they had come in, pulled all my carpet up, and put fresh carpet down in a day. Wow. Fresh carpet. 
they removed it all while I was at work. That's incredible. So I think we would have been fine. It made me think of this one client. I, he, I used to be casual friends with him. I'm not friends with him anymore. I did a shoot for these guys, and then they went next door to a different hotel, literally next door. It was a Sheraton versus a Hilton where I put them. And they thought they could save a little bit of money. And my one client, his room was fine. It was just a hotel room, like David described the second time. The other client, he said, I'm not really happy about my room. I, I said, well, show me. He took me, just like you said, through a narrow hallway, through the kitchen. I had to cut through the kitchen. This is real. This actually what? happened. And behind the kitchen, there were some rooms. His room was behind the kitchen. You have to cut through the kitchen. And the door lock was broken. It, the door had been bashed in. And it was a ground floor where you could get in through the window. And I was sitting there, well, standing there, in astonishment that this person was not going to stand up for themselves. And I said, and I'll bleep his name, you have to go up to the front and ask for a different room. Uh, no, I guess it's okay. I, this is one of those moments where like, you know, I don't like to be pushy, but I was like, you've got to be kidding me, man. So he finally got a different room, but wow. I mean, at what point do you stand up for yourself? Yeah, that would not do for me. That, that would not do. It looked like you're going to get murdered during the night. I'm sitting here with yeah. my, like, you know how your jaw drops open. You said the door looked like it had been bashed in. No, the door had been bashed in. Oh, the lock was broken. You could you could flip that little thing, you know that little thing you flip to keep the door locked. Yes, from the inside. From the inside, the chain, that metal little flip bar. Oh, oh yes, yes. Are you kidding me? That's not enough to make to let me go to sleep in a hotel room. Wisdom from Wesley. I like cheeseburgers. This has been Wisdom with Wesley. As you've heard, I'm the kind of guy who tends to keep a lot inside. But now that we have shit to grit, stuff I've been wanting to talk about for a long time is tumbling out of my mouth. That could happen to you too. Just start a podcast with Riverside.fm. Riverside.fm lets you do high-quality podcasts right over the phone, complete with a live media board that can play music like we do. Start saying what you've been wanting to say today with Riverside.fm. Okay, let's get back to shit to grit. Where's the MacGuffin? You say you've got to be coachable, right? Yes. How do you know that the person who's coaching you is the coach for you. How do you know to listen to a person that yells at you and know that they have your best interests at heart? I guess you don't know. You just, to, to me, you know, I always thought it's a part of sports. It's a part of football. You got a coach that yells. He's kind of mean. He's a disciplinarian. You're, you're playing as a team. You're just one of the cogs. The question is, did you have a voice inside you saying, I don't like this. The reason you know is it's all you've known. Peewee football, junior high, college, they're all the same. Coaches are in your face. They're aggressive. That's all you know. So any person that doesn't respond to this type of motivation gets weeded out, Marshall. So what you're left with are all guys who can respond to this type of motivation. That's all they've ever known. I had a coach that met me halfway on the field, grabbed me by my face mask, pulled me to the sidelines, and told me what I was doing wrong. So you're left with guys in the NFL who that's all they've ever known, so they know how to respond to that. I think the Lions organization is sort of flipping the script a bit, which is like, they're talking to these players in a different way. Maybe we're missing out on a bunch of players who are motivated by a different type of thing. Maybe those players could be amazing, you know, if they're talked to in a different way. Ultimately, isn't it just about the 
imparting of wisdom. You don't have to yell at somebody to say, catch it like this. You don't have to yell at somebody to say, lower your shoulder pad. You don't. You can just tell them. Just like Campbell did, and I said it to you in the last episode, Pimpleton, your best asset is your speed. Stay on the ground if you can. That's all you have to say. Why do you have to raise your voice? I I think, though, most of the coaches, in the heat of the game, everyone's hyped up. Everyone's excited. You're just matching the the power of the game and the enthusiasm of the game and you're just into it. So you, you may come off in an aggressive way and you may talk to players in an aggressive way, just based on being on the sidelines and and seeing the hits. I'll never get that image of Aubrey Pleasant with his finger in Okuda's face out of my psyche. It bothered me. I still, to this moment, I can see him doing it. I would never do that to a player. Never. It was awful. It was, I mean, it was on television. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. Yeah. I wonder if you could find many photos of coaches with their hands, fingers in the the face of a football player. I bet you could, unfortunately. On television during a game? Can't that be on the practice field? Or can it be in private if you have to say that? It was unfortunate that the camera caught it. Everyone saw it. It's just unfortunate. We agree about that. So I see what you're saying about the NFL and the Lions flipping the script. The question is, how would you like to be coached? Because what I ended the last episode with is, was there a voice in you that said, I don't like this? Yeah, I, I, I want a coach who's enthusiastic, who can get me hyped up. And pumped up. I don't know if you're ready for this answer. I just, I don't know if it bothers me as much as it might bother you. And mainly because all coaches seem to be the same. And that's one of their go-to maneuvers of getting in your face and saying to you, are you going to respond or not? Are you a winner or are you not? It's tough. It's a tough, tough game. And you're hitting, you know, you're burying your shoulder into the chest of someone, or you're you're going over the middle and catching a ball, and someone's going to hit you. So you're saying, by its nature, there's a primitive element to it, and if the communication is primitive, that's part of it. It's part of it. I see that point. I I totally see that point. Contrast it with this. Now, this is a longtime boss of ours, David's and mine. And he emailed me this. He's a listener as well. I remember doing fielding drills during practice on the high school baseball team. The coach was just smoking them at us. Even after my six or seven trammel type plays, and for our younger listeners, he is, a, I think, now a Hall of Fame shortstop for the Tigers. Even after my six or seven trammel type plays in a row, one bounced off my glove and he said, I'll bleep the name. You don't love the game. Now, first of all, do you have a reaction to that story? I can see that happening. I can see a coach doing that, challenging a player, going at his ego, saying, you don't love this, because if you love this game, you would catch that ball. You know, I can see it happening. But he said six or seven trammel-like plays in a row. In other words, Hall of Fame shortstop-type plays. Hall of Fame shortstop-type plays. And then you miss one. And he says, you don't love the game. So I asked him permission to tell this. He said, feel free to use the story on the air. I said, what did you, did you feel more motivated or less? I think I was motivated even more after the coach's comment. I knew I was in the zone, but started trying to anticipate where it was going to short hop, bounce, et cetera. The problem with that approach is it makes you overthink the situation instead of relying on one's natural ability. Mm. Game commentators often say, especially to a player who's struggling, stop thinking, just play. Sometimes the harder you try to make a play, the worse you play. I think he's kind of advocating for both sides because the problem is if somebody's yelling it to you as if you did something wrong, well, now maybe you're beating yourself up. You might remember, but are you playing loose? You should have seen him during the Patricia era, David. I know you were Lions free, 
they would have one series that they played well, and it was scripted. It felt like they had rehearsed it, and they played well. After that, they played scared. I watched them play scared. It's easy to detect. Easy. Interesting. Wow. Again, he berated a reporter for slouching, and he said, how about you stop That's, I, I'm, I don't trust a guy. I, is he imparting enough wisdom to make talking to me like that worth it? Is he making me that much better as a coach? Do I want to succeed with this particular coach that badly? Yeah, it's, it's rough, man. Um, I would have asked for a trade. It's, it's terrible, but I've seen coaches. I've been coached by guys who really attacking your ego. You're going to let this guy beat you. You look like you're playing scared out there. You know, be a man. Do you, and you think that motivates people. It motivated you. I'm saying if it doesn't motivate you, you get weeded out quickly. So what you're left with are guys who all can be motivated by that sort of behavior. Oh, I get you now. What, you're scared? You're playing scared? You know, that sort of thing. If you don't respond to it, you get weeded out. The only people that are left are people who can be challenged and can respond to it, which is why when that offensive coordinator of the Lions said, what did he say, Marshall? Who's sensitive? Who's sensitive? Who here is sensitive? It's so counter to what I've all, I've never heard a coach ever bring something like that up. I witnessed Dan Campbell and so did you saying, your best asset is your speed. Stay on the ground as much as you can. Nobody raised a voice. If a coach said that to me, I would feel like he just gave me a secret and I'm going to do it. Would you be more motivated than somebody pointing a finger in your face or less or the same? It, it Probably more. If he told me an insight like that, if he gave me an insight instead of yelling at me and said, look, you're more successful if you do that, I'd be like, wow. I just got some little bit of wisdom that no one else knows about. I'm going to try this out. And if it works, done. That's all I'm ever doing. And especially if I'm a rookie trying to make a team and the head coach tells me that, it's over. That's what I'm doing. That's my point. And I'm nodding over here. That's why I never wanted to play Little League. I played intramural at Michigan, but I didn't want to play that organized ball because I don't like people talking to me like that. But I saw Dan Campbell talk like that. Well, I told you last season, I wanted to make that catch that Brock Wright made. I would have taken the hit right now in this body. I'm so motivated by this team. And I don't know if I've ever loved the line. Maybe that year that Roeder talked about, the another one bites the dust year. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely love the Barry Sanders years. Yes. But I think this is my favorite team ever. I think it's my favorite team ever. Dude, I, I feel the same way. I'm just nervous. There's so much anticipation for this team. And we'll know by the first game, right? Like, I, I feel like I'll know if they're up for the challenge, the first game. Now, see, you're talking about can you respond to the challenge? Because you said they weeded out everybody except the kids who can rise to, to being challenged. Maybe instead, these are the people who got a lot of little secrets. Wow, I like that. You oh, know, cool. I, you remember that scene in uh, A League of Their Own where Tom Hanks, <laughs> I think the third baseman, the shortstop, whoever it was, she made some play and he screamed at her. He screamed, what are you doing? You had to move on. And she started to cry. Right. And, and our longtime boss actually used to cite this line. What are you, you're crying? There's, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> later in the movie he has to give her another note that she overthrew the cutoff man as she right. must have been the left fielder and he said you know <laughs> we're trying to make that play at the plate so if you could <laughs> if you could focus on hitting the cutoff man she's like oh thanks coach and then he's shaking but in reality that's the way i believe you ought to be coached and that's the way campbell on camera stay on your feet telling him a secret, making him better, doing what that neighbor in my backyard did to Wesley. Catch it in the diamond of your hands. Suddenly, you catch every ball thrown to you. It's like a miracle. Right, right. I will say this. I don't know what caused this, David, but I got in your head 
with saying that the thing I did with Steve Martin in Planes, Threads, and Automobiles, not everything is an anecdote. I got in your head, and I wasn't even trying to coach you. I just told you a quote from a movie. So what's that? Is that a remnant of having been coached by guys with fingers in your face? I believe it is. It's just like it's being aware of any little thing that could help you and being open to it. You have to be coachable, right? So you're coaching yourself in there. Then all I'll say is I advocate that the coach inside you be nice to you because you're a nice guy. I like you. (laughs) Thank you. That's it. I think we're out. How lovely was that, Indy? Because I like you. (laughs) Intentional grounding. So I'm stealing the microphone from Heather just for this week to say that, you know, the preseason's over, the regular season's coming, the the season we've been waiting for today, spare a thought for the guys who are on the, let's see, 90 minus 53, 37, 37 from every roster in the NFL are guys who have a dream. And I love people who have a dream and I support people who have a dream. And today they have to face the idea that their dream may not be coming true. David, what do you want to say about that? I just think, you know, like, you know, these guys who are getting cut have played football all their lives. You know, that's all they've known, right? Mm -hmm. From Pop Warner to junior high to high school, college pros that's all they've ever known that's all they've ever done and now they're faced with this is it this is your last time ever putting on a football uniform i told you about a season of hard knocks with jeff fisher and he when he cut these guys he had these awkward very quick well sorry to tell you and they stood up and shook hands barely said any words and they're all stiff and they would leave person after person one guy, he said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, God, okay, okay, coach, stood up to go. And he said, hold, hold on, hold on. Don't give up. Dude, Keep that's going. all. Wow. Wow. What a gift. I don't say this to every player. You got something. Keep going. And, you know, the other day you said, yeah, but how do I know he's not saying I don't say this to every player, to every player. But he didn't. I saw it happen. So now, what do you do, Dave, in a situation? Because, you know, these are guys who have given up. I, I quoted Langston Hughes when we were talking about doing this on the show. What happens to a dream deferred? You know, does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Do these guys just walk away from this? With this one guy who the coach said, don't give up. You know, I would hopefully he would ask him, what is it you need, think I need to work on? Where should I focus? those types of questions so I could focus on those things and maybe come back next year with a different team or whatever, or the same team and try out again. You know what, dude, what you just blew me away. If I were that guy, you call back Fisher and you say, coach, I won't bother you again. Tell me the areas I can improve in. That's good. Yeah. I would. So let's say you're not that guy. Let's say you're the guys who shook hands quickly. You, David Hughes, do you go on to the USFL, the XFL, you keep going, or do you say that's enough? There's a lot of what ifs. You know, there's a lot of things that would go into play if I had a family. And how long have I been working on this dream? You know, is no no family. How old am I? You know, like, do I still have a. You just graduated college. You're 22. Yeah, I'm still working at it, man. That's nothing to give up your dreams about. Let me set the stage for you. You were the best guy on your peewee league. You were the best guy on your middle school teams. You were the best guy on your high school team. You were the among the best guys on your college team. You were arguably a superstar. And then you don't get drafted and you get cut. (laughs) I, wow. That's a lot. You just, Ooh, let me think. I, I I couldn't give up on my dream. I would still have to work. I would just like during the preseason, a few of the coaches probably 
said some things to me that I needed to work on. And maybe I, I was exposed in some way and I saw where I needed to work. I would focus on those things, keep in touch with some of the players, talk to some of the veterans. But how do you deal with the culture shock? How do you deal with the shock of I was the best, I was the best, and now I'm not even good enough to make the team? I'm saying I don't even know if if you're that guy who was the best and the best and the best and you get cut. I'm not even sure that goes through your head. I think you're the guy that goes, well, I just there's something I need to work on. I've done this before. Interesting. I'm going to work on these things. Like I see that guy who's on the practice squad or I see that guy who's on punt return or kickoff. I'm at least as good as that guy. David, that's back. why that's why I like that that woman who worked for me that looked like Shelly Hack from Charlie's Angels. <laughs> she showed me that script. I said, no, it's a really creative idea. It's not quite it. She left. She comes back in. Read this again. Like she could not believe that I had said, no, that's not quite it. Yes. I loved it. I loved it. I was a fan of hers instantly. Yes. Yes. So that's what you're saying. Yes. I'm at least as good as that. It's called believing in yourself. Yeah. Believing in yourself. And betting on yourself. I think. And betting on yourself. You told me that. It gave me that term. It's like, I'm going to bet on myself. Yeah. I've been betting on myself. Oh, yeah. I'm pushing everything in on me. It's scary. It's scary, man. And yet, what else can we do? What else can we do? We have to believe in ourselves because we're all we've got. We're all we got, man. We're all we got. Except we also have our friends to support us in it. That's a plus. Momento hypothesis. So Dave, you heard the story, your story, of what happened in that pet store a while back. What came up for you listening to yourself? It felt like a dream. I remember my ears feeling like they were plugged. Almost like all I could hear was this, people talking like this. Like really muffled. It felt like my ears were stopped up. And I could feel my heart racing. I could almost feel it beating in my ears. You know? I do. My body, I could hear everything inside my body. Yeah. It's a moment where you're kind of internally putting the brakes on it. It's a hard moment to accept. That's what trauma is. Hard moments to accept. I was like, am I dreaming this? Am I in a dream? It was crazy. Yeah. Very difficult. Is this really happening or am I dreaming? Am I asleep? Right. You know. Right. I don't know what that's about. Well, there are parts of the nervous system in the autonomic nervous system that heighten you and calm you back down. That's what fight or flight is. And there's a confidence interval within which they function normally. You go past that confidence interval. It's like blowing out the speakers on a stereo. Mm. That's what trauma is. So that in that moment, you process things differently. Just like when you play music on a speaker with blown speakers, It'll still play, but it plays crackly when you turn it at a high volume. Do me a favor. Wince inside as we're just sitting here. Feel the feeling of yourself wincing as if you don't want something to happen. So you're trying to protect yourself. Tense up your stomach and wince like, no. Can you feel <laughs> Yeah, I think, I, I think, yeah, maybe that was it. Like It changes your antenna. In that moment, it changes your antenna. You're focused on different things, just like the antenna of a television. Yeah. Because that's what the nervous system is. Yeah. What I found interesting, if you listen to yourself, you're saying there wasn't a sound. You couldn't hear a sound. You heard nothing. Well, there was a radio. A radio that was down low playing jazz music. I'm like, look at these details that are coming back when you tell the story. I watched it happen as you told it. The bells on the, the, the bells. bells on the door. Yeah. Fascinating. Did you have any attention on the other people or only on yourself? 
It was so long ago now, Marshall, recalling the memories are so, I don't know. Oh, wait, it was a jazz station. Oh, wait, I hear the bells, the bells on the door. Oh, wait, they said, oh, there's two guys who are dressed for the weather. All the stuff's coming back to you. Yeah, I, I remember it was around New Year's, too. And you remembered it was New Year's. So you say it was so long ago, and yet look what happens when we talk about it. Yeah. Just one more question. It's the last one. You said something was making you glum here. And if I found a longer portion of the clip that you would know what was wrong. You remember this now? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to play it for you. Are there things that crack you guys up no matter what? Hmm. I'd have to really think about that one. I'd have to think about it. There there was a like a rhyme that cracked me up. Do you remember it, Marshall? It's birdie birdie in the sky laid a turdie in my eye. And I don't know why, but that rhyme just yeah. broke my brain and I could not stop laughing until I was like crying, couldn't breathe. Again, the sweet cuteness of a children's rhyme with the disgust of getting poop in your <laughs> <Yes>. face. <laughs> this is going to lead. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> we did it. We broke her brain, wow. David. Right. <laughs> David, first of all, I'm shocked. I did not hear you even laughing about the poop. No, dude. You were gone. I was gone. Oh, bless your heart. I was gone. Where were you? I don't want to get emotional, but there's this thing that cracks me up every time, and I knew exactly what it was. Remember that thing where I told you it was like, at any given moment, I could be happy or sad. When I think about I've lost my mom and dad and brother. And the moment that makes me laugh, I think I was like maybe 14, 13, around that age. My family decided to go for a bike ride, my mom, dad, and brother, and myself. We we're going to go ride our bikes down to the Dairy Queen. My brother was really looking forward to it. And then my mom was sore and she didn't want to ride. And then my dad was like, well, I'll stay with your mom. Maybe we shouldn't ride today. We were all on our bikes and ready. And my brother was so upset. And we were angry at him for being so upset. He was angry at my mom for not wanting to, to ride. You won't find this funny, but it made us all laugh. We would recall this moment. We laugh. It would make us all laugh every time we thought about it. My brother said, well, well we got all, remember, this is not going to make you laugh. We got all set. We got our bikes out. We're all sitting on our bike. We're ready to go for a ride. I mean, what's the matter for the use? That phrase, what's the matter for the use? Why did we do all this? I mean, what's the matter for the use? And... We just stopped and go, what's the matter for the use? What kind of sentence is that? That doesn't even make sense. And then we all started laughing. And we all decided to go for the ride. My mom said, let's, let's just go. And we rode our bikes to the Dairy Queen laughing the whole way. And that phrase made us all, we would always laugh and we would always bring it up. And it made me sad. And when you said, what's a moment that makes you laugh? And I instantly went there, and I instantly got sad and glum. Isn't that interesting? Yep. About a moment that always made you laugh. Yep, and now they're not around anymore. I was excited. I heard her story, and I got so sad because none of them are around. Yeah. You know? And it gets lonely when you don't have those people who remember all those reference points with you, you know? Yep. Dick Van Dyke was on Tavis Smiley, and they asked him, what's the toughest part about getting older? He said, I'll think of a funny line or a funny moment. I'll see this moment on TV, and I want to call someone, text someone, and I can't. I can't. But I can tell you this. You just named the episode, so you'll always have this to remember. <laughs> That's sweet. 
Last roar. So you just heard me ask David a question or explore a conversation and find out something really touching about his life. Earlier in the episode, you heard David talk about Wi-Fi guy at Bandcamp and that I'm going to go back and stick it to him. And I asked him in South America, are you really going back for that? There's, there's got to be more to it. I mean, they treated you like, like you're a, a buck private in the army and this guy's annoying you and it's raining all the time. There's got to be more to it. And David said, I believe I'm going back. I don't believe I know I'm going back for the kids. They're so interesting to watch and I want to watch them grow. There was a, there was a girl who I often saw her by herself, but she never seemed lonely. She always seemed comfortable being by herself and I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She'd have her headphones on. I think it had something to do with the noise of the cafeteria, but I would often see her traveling across campus with her headphones on in her own world and loving it. There was another kid who ne- I couldn't get two words out of him. His name is Yushiki, and uh, he's new to America. Was super quiet. He wouldn't make eye contact with me. So this one night, the um, group leader asked him, do you think you're going to sign up for the section again. And I sat up in my bunk and he looked up very quietly. He shook his head, yes. And then the whole cabin erupted, yelling his name over and over again. And I was included, I was yelling his name. And then ever so slightly, you could see a little smile. We, I felt like we had all finally gotten through to him. Like he had made this growth. That's why I wanna go back. I wanna see what what's he like a year later. All the kids were so interesting and I got to see what happens next to them next year. It makes sense. And I'm touched by the answer. And I would not have experienced that if I hadn't asked David the question, if I hadn't probed beyond, well, do you really want to stick it to Wi-Fi guy? That's really why you're going back? Because that's not David. I know him well enough. So here I get this, this answer that's layered with David's love of human beings. And then I asked David the question about him sounding glum. And you heard the answer, the really touching answer, the answer that I, that I can't get out of my head. I've been editing this episode for a week. You can ask these kinds of questions in your life. They will lead to rich conversations. Maybe a relationship in your life that's going to shit can find some grit. When he was a football player, David told me, one of the coaches said, if you're confused, hit somebody. Here's telling you not to follow that advice in your life. But if you're on a football field, go for it. <laughs> that was Thank you to Pixabay artists Amoxi, Miyagi-sama, 246-31838, Top Secret Music Network, and Music Town. All other music is composed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.